Good Sunday evening, everyone, and welcome back to Seth's Basement. It's Seth, hanging out with you tonight, and I've got a special show lined up for you. Tonight, being two days before the 2020 elections, I will be giving you my official forecasts for the House, Senate, and Presidency. Yes, we'll have my future my official predictions, and next Sunday, we'll see how they fare at the end. Also, a bit of Q&A and a rant on a DC radio personality that got shakan this week. All this, so let's start the show, shall we? Okay, gonna start with my election prospects here in the House of Representatives, where all 435 seats are up for grabs. Now, currently, Democrats hold a 232 to 197 to 1 majority in the House. The one lone seat is retiring Minnesota Libertarian Justin Amash, and Republicans sold 197 seats. Now, Republicans need a net gain of 21 seats to retake control of the House. Now, Democrats have 181 seats that are safe districts, where no matter what, those districts are definite lock to stay Democrat. Republicans have 156 seats in safe districts that no matter what, these seats won't change. According to the RCP average, Democrats have 16 likely seats that stay Democrat, and Republicans have 14 seats that are likely to stay Republican, according to the RCP average. However, looking at the 67 seats that are either in the toss-up column or leaning Democrat or leaning Republican, these are going to be what we call the battleground seats in the battleground districts, and my focus is squarely on these for the House majority. These are the main seats that will control the ultimate fate of who controls the House come January when the next congressional class comes into session. Now, using the math of 218 votes needed for the majority, Democrats currently hold 197 seats that are safe or likely. Republicans have 170. Someone could easily say that Republicans need a miracle to take the House, as they need, by this projection, 48 of the 67 seats that are leaning or toss-up. Democrats need 21 of these seats to keep their majority. So where do I see control of the House going to? Do Republicans pull off a wave and take over, or do they end up in the minority, whether it's slight or otherwise. Well, it depends on how many districts they can flip. I don't have the confidence they can get up to the magic number of 218, but they will come close. However, as the old saying goes, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. So my official prediction is that Democrats will hold a slight five-seat majority in the House, 220 to 215. But I think it's possible that Democrats have a slightly larger majority or slightly less, or they could lose the House slightly. But again, it all depends on what happens on Tuesday, factored in with the early and mail-in vote in the absentee ballots and mail-in voting. Now, let's head over to the Senate, where things are a little bit easier to predict. Right now, the current makeup of the Senate is 53 seats for the Republicans, 45 for Democrats, and two that belong to independents that caucus with the Democrats. 
Now, 65 seats are not up for grabs here. And the breakdown for that is 31 Democrat seats, the two independent seats that caucus with the Democrats, and then 32 Republican seats. Republicans are defending two seats in special elections, and in the regular election, they're defending 21 seats. Democrats are defending 12. So combine all that, and you have 35 seats up for grabs. Okay, in Arizona and Georgia, you have two special elections. Okay, in Arizona, Senator Martha McSally, who got the seat via appointment from Governor Doug Ducey, because when Senator McCain died in 2000, August 2018, he appointed John Kyle, and he stepped down at the end of the year. Senator McSally, who's a former pilot in the Air Force and retired colonel, is trying to defeat former astronaut Mark Kelly, who served in the Navy as a captain. The winner of this election finishes up the two years that are left on this existing term, then have the option to run for re-election in 2022. In Georgia, incumbent appointee Senator Kelly Loeffler is running against a wide-open field of 20 candidates. Now, the top two finishers in this one will have a runoff on J January the 5th to determine who the other senator will be to fill that seat through 2022. So why do I have things here? Now, some of the polling has been lofty at best, and it's why RCP has Montana, Iowa, South Carolina, Kansas, Texas, and Georgia's both seats as either toss-ups or leaning Republican. But as of right now, I am focusing on Maine, Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, and North Carolina as your toss-up states. Colorado, I think, will flip and go Democrat. Alabama's going to flip and go back to the Republican fold. So right now, factoring all of this out, if Democrats flip Arizona, okay, and North Carolina, as well as Maine, but keep Michigan and Minnesota, they will successfully flip the Senate as they would have a 52-48 majority. I do see them keeping New Hampshire as Senator Sheehan is not running against a Senate type Republican. Now, in Maine, it's very tight, but I think that Susan Collins voting against Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett might be enough for her to keep her seat in Maine. But again, Democrats are within striking distance. In Arizona, Senator McSally is gaining last-minute ground against retired captain and astronaut Mark Kelly. So that could go either way. With the scandals rocking Cal Cunningham at the last minute, at the last minute, Senator Tom Tillis is looking into a possible win in North Carolina. Senator Gary Peters is in a dead heat with John James in a state that in 2014, Peters won Michigan won the Senate seat in Michigan by 13.2 points. In Minnesota, Senator Tina Smith is Tina Smith is seeking re-election in a tight race against Jason Lewis in a state where in 2014, in Minnesota, she won by 10.6 points. So you see, there's a puncher's chance of Democrats retaking the Senate. Yeah. Is there a chance you could see a 50-50 split? Yes. But are they strong odds? Not really. So now you have to remember that this is more of a base election this year, and honestly, things are changing at the last minute. I think that Democrats will have a net pickup of either plus one or plus two. I still think they could win Arizona 
and possibly mean as a long shot. Republicans will take Alabama. So there's that. And they do have a chance of taking Michigan as well as Minnesota. Now, if Democrats don't take Arizona and or Maine, it'll discount a gain for them. Republicans should not rest easy, though, as I think they will barely hold on to the Senate. And I do mean so barely. I think it could flip on its head as Republican, if Republicans don't come out. So, officially, I think Republicans retain with either a 52-48 split or what it is now, 53-47. That's taking the two independents and putting them into Democrats because they caucus with Democrats. With a gain of a plus one or plus two and keeping everything, or that's more than likely. Now, a 54-46 or a 55-45 split is very slight, as well as a 51-49 split. As far as the big show goes, the presidency, I've been keeping my eye on the on a select few states here. Basically, as most of the way, it's been a solid lock. It's down to Maine, 2nd Congressional District, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Florida, and Arizona. Now, some can ask what happened to Nevada, and I'm just not confident that Trump can flip it at this late stage. I don't think he can compete inside of Clark County, which is the Las Vegas area. Outside of there, absolutely. But the Las Vegas area should honestly keep Nevada from going Republican at this stage of the race. I know that a lot of Republicans are likely pissed at me about this, but I have to go with my gut here. Nevada is only going Republican if the rural areas circumvent Clark County. If Trump can do better than expected in Clark County, not only with turnout but with votes, then he might have a chance of winning Nevada, but I don't see it. At least not yet. Here in good old Virginia, where people are still trying to twist my arm, I will say this. Southern and Western Virginia are solidly Republican outside of your college campuses. But here's some intriguing data that puts Virginia into a little bit more context here. Democrats are ahead of Republicans in the early vote by 10 points. But when you pull people who plan to vote on election day, it's Trump 59, Biden 35. So Democrats are, and or Republicans are either lying to pollsters and mass as to how they plan to vote or an upset is brewing. And here's another stat for you. In 2008, then-Senator Obama won the state by six points. The following year, a Republican won the governor's race by 16 points. Virginia elections can swing very widely, depending wildly, depending on who shows up. There's also been two statewide races in recent memory where the RCP average was off by six and nine points, respectively. So essentially, we won't know what happens until Virginia until late on Tuesday. But I still think that Northern Virginia will either be where Biden takes Virginia, or if you can't get Northern Virginia to stay moderately blue, Trump pulls off a shocker. The state I don't think will be called until after 9 p.m. or possibly later if Trump hangs around. And if Trump somehow wins Virginia, Mark Warner is in danger of losing his Senate seat. 
And also another good sign for the Trump campaign in Virginia is the longer that Virginia stays too close to call. Because the sooner that Biden is predicted to is called to be the winner, that, that's 13 electoral votes that just quickly just go away and disappear. But the longer that it's too close to call, the longer it just hangs around and people get the idea that there's a slight chance that Trump might pull it off in Virginia. Okay, so we could possibly see another 2016 as, as well as 2000 here where Trump wins the electoral vote but not the popular vote. Now, his path is essentially what it was four years ago, whereas if he carries the states he did in 2016, he will be reelected. Now, to throw a wrench into this idea, uh, Biden starts to pick off what I call Trump's firewall of Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and takes three of those four states, Trump will not be reelected. However, if Trump keeps that firewall intact, expect him to win. I don't see this as a 269-269 deal where the House will decide who's the president, but I do foresee possible lawsuits that could go all the way up to the Supreme Court if states have a lot of uncounted ballots beyond November 3rd. I'm hoping we'll get a call as to who's the president come, say, 1 a.m. on election night, but all bets are off if there's lawsuits abound. My key for an unlikely Biden landslide in both is to sweep the eastern seaboard in Ohio off the jump. That somehow the polls are wrong about Trump leading in Ohio and boom, it's just a total sea of blue from Maine all the way down to Florida and starting to head west. My key for an unlikely Trump landslide in both is taking Virginia, Minnesota, New Mexico, Nevada. You know, and along with everything else. However, I don't see either happening. So I don't, so I doubt we're in landslide ter territory for both for either candidate. But I could see an electoral landslide for both candidates, but definitely not both popular and electoral. End result is that Trump's going to have an electoral win again. The issues of COVID and Orange Man bad aren't going to be enough to put Biden over the top. Also, there wasn't much of a ground game for the Biden camp canvassing-wise, and that hurt people, so this bill didn't want to go knocking on doors because of COVID, which makes sense, but it backfired in a sense. It also didn't help at the end of the day at all. That the ongoing Hunter Biden scandal didn't help with moderates. The criminal justice reform bill helped Trump with some of the African-American community, but what hurts Trump is COVID, immigration, healthcare, etc. But people aren't hip to a Biden administration either. So I think it'll be another electoral win for Trump. But if somehow Trump squeaks out a popular vote win as well, expect the talk of removing the Electoral College to go away again, as it was only brought up in 2000, as well as after 2016, because... The candidate won the electoral vote, but not the popular vote. And there you go. My official election sorted out. Come back next week and we'll find out how I did. Now let's step into some Q&A. Want to reach me for Q&A? You can reach me on Twitter at TrueSithDan74. Question one. Sith, your take on how people are reacting to the World Series win from the LA Dodgers. 
You know, I've said that this is the best Dodgers team since 1988. And honestly, the same criticism that came out about the Dodgers came out about the Tampa Bay Lightning and the LA Lakers. Okay, so the teams were in a bubble for the postseason. So fucking what? At least they got a chance to play for the fans. Look, in this day and age of COVID, we need to have something that'll entertain. Whether it's movies at home, sports, drive-in concert, drive-in movies, etc. The NBA, MLB, and NHL where it came to the postseason put their players in a bubble. With the exception of a few players who broke the rules within the bubble, it was a complete success and not a single positive COVID test in the bubbles at all. So what if fans couldn't be there? It still, it still took the place, so a championship is exactly that. Oh, and someone please told Pat Riley to stop his idea of an asterisk besides the Lakers championship. He sure still wouldn't have called for it if he was still a coach. I'm just saying. Sith, which is your bet? Which is better, Star Wars or Star Trek? Not only all time, but current product. Okay, I get this question a lot because I'm a constant critic of both not only the Star Wars, Star Wars sequel trilogy, but also the Alex Kurtzman streaming Star Trek shows as well. It's well known I'm not a fan of either one, as both franchises deviated from their really awesome source material and really tried to push more of a political narrative that wasn't humanist. Star Trek wins all time by a hair, and it's mainly because even though their current products are equal as hypocritical stances from showrunners, you didn't have a bad guy coming off as a grunge musician as a teenager or an intergalactic character that was a racial stereotype. Really cost call because I love both franchises. And yeah, to Star Trek's detriment, there is Cybok, you know, Star Trek V. There is season three of, of the original series, which was an absolute waste. But Star Trek wins by a hair. Question three, Sith. Why so cruel about Alex Jones? Oh, he's an idiot, that's why. Look, I have no issue with people who disagree with me, but just about everyone at the network disagrees with my libertarian views at times. But shit, this guy's a fucking wacko. He used his camera crew for attention when his ex-wife took his ass to court for crying out loud. Not to mention that he considers himself to be a Mr. 1776 type. He's far from it. He's more like a McCarthyite. Because if you disagree with him, you're a terroristic communist threat. Just an absolute national disgrace. I have no room for my plat for him on my platform. Never have, never will. Seth. Question four. Seth. Thoughts on Ian Coulter now apparently trying to support Trump again. Oh, you mean she woke up on the right side of the bed and figured, oh shit, now I gotta support Trump again? Luck. Ann Coulter's very smart, but she's also very impatient. She's a bandwagon jumper. She gave up on Trump early because after propping him up, she didn't enact, he didn't enact his ideas at all via executive orders, which would have put the constitutional republic we live in at risk. Now, I personally have never been a fan of Ann Coulter, and honestly never will be. Yes, she boldly predicted in 2015 that Trump would be elected, but she's way too far off the deep end for my taste. Question 5. Sith, can you tell me how you feel about the ending and post-match interviews after Mayweather Ortiz, the night it happened and now? 
All right, now taking mind this was back in 2011, and at the time, HBO was the big pay-per-view fight leader by a mile since they had a lot of the top boxers. It was also back then, if you had a Showtime subscription, you got their major pay-per-views for free because they were only charging about 39 bucks a pop as opposed to now where they're the only game in town for boxing for the most part except for ESPN+, Plus, etc. Okay. This was also the fight that had the infamous Larry Merchant interview where he told Mayweather if he was 50 years younger, he'd kick his ass. Look, I'm a big boxing fan. And I was talking to Paul the Boxing Guy a few days ago. Shout out to Paul the Boxing Guy there. When I got this question, and we still have the same feelings. Crazy ending, epic interview. Look, gloves were touched. So even though Victor Ortiz was trying to hug and Floyd Mayweather Jr. after the head after he hit by the Mayweather, when those gloves touched, it's fight on, baby. That interview after the match is still one of my favorites of all time as well. FYI, the night before Mayweather's fight with Cotto the following May, Mayweather and Merchant cleared decks, so there's that. Now, Merchant is no stranger for shooting in interviews, and this is exactly what it was. It was a boxing shoot. Question 6. Seth, gotta hand it to you that you were pretty even-handed with criticism during the stimulus debacle. Everything there will ever be, everything there won't be a deal. Look, right now it looks bleak because of the election, but I tend to agree with Senator John Thune of North Dakota that after November the 3rd, we will probably get a deal of some sort for another stimulus package. You have to remember, Democrats couldn't hand Trump a victory before the election where it came to stimulus, and Republicans couldn't afford to take any deals as they're perceived to be by their supporters to be fiscally responsible, which we know is a complete bullshit lie, because they're all for funding to never-ending wars that if not for Trump, we would still be entrenched for the rest of our lives. I think that once the smoke settles from the election, you'll, you'll see a deal finally get finished before this congressional class is done, which is mid-December. So... Best to let the election go by, let the smoke settle, then you'll get a deal. Last question for the week. Seth, thoughts on whether or not we're going to see riots post-election? Sadly, unless Biden does the unthinkable and wins in a mega landslide, you're going to see more riots. But thankfully, the National Guard will be on call, we hope, this time. You know, this election has been the most divisive in recent memory. 2016 and 2000 almost look pleasant in comparison to this. I hope for peace after the election, but I don't see it coming. Prove me wrong, America. Let's come back together, take the higher road. You can peacefully protest, and I encourage it, but riots and looting? No, I don't. All right. So, WGFK, uh, owned by Intercom, uh, fired Chad Dukes the other day on his personal podcast because of his personal podcast. Because on his personal podcast, he made racially insensitive statements about the anthem protests. Now, the longtime listeners of this show know well that I've had this attitude towards our freedoms that work, especially the First and Second Amendments. 
Where you have freedoms comes great responsibility. If you want to own a firearm, for example, you need to follow the proper procedures and be responsible after you buy the gun and not use one in the commission of a felony. All right, good. What a novel concept, be responsible. Well, the same thing goes with the First Amendment. You can practice whatever faith you might believe in. Say what you want, protest what you feel to protest, etc. But you have to do it with a sense of responsibility. If you post something online racially insensitive, it's likely to get you shit-canned. And Chad knew this. Listening with the idea that it's just Chad being an on-air personality, it doesn't work with me. What he said was racist. It was low-key racist. Now, the protests surrounding the national anthem have nothing to do with the anthem itself. Okay? Now, we know that the third stanza is racist, but the overall argument is not the anthem itself. Although some people who are misguided think it's disrespecting the anthem per se. Look, the third verse has racial overtones to it, but the anthem protests are about excessive force used against minorities by law enforcement. It has nothing to do with the anthem itself, okay? The people that are saying that it has to do with the anthem are probably stupid enough to think that the black power salute at the 68 Olympics was about the anthem. No, it was about systemic racism. And it still exists now as it did back in the 60s. Okay, and even a further point. Okay, so you don't want peaceful protests during the anthem. But you also don't want riots and looting either. But you want athletes to shut up and play ball or shut up and box or shut up and entertain. So, when are they supposed to speak? When are minorities allowed to speak if all they can do is shut up and play ball? See the point? Good. Chad, your racism showed in this rant on your podcast. You see, you and your cohorts are what I call low-key bigots. You come at, you don't come out front with it, you subvert it so it's low-key and you hope and you pray that no one sees through your bullshit. You're just as fucking stupid, stupid as Ryan Johnson who directed Star Wars Last Jedi who helps relegate people of color to the background with trying to say, See, see, we're diverse! Look, you're a fucking disgrace to broadcasting. And it's with all this said that if you're looking for sympathy, don't bother looking for me for it. Because all I have to say to you is you got you can shit in one hand, wish in the other. Shit fills up first, that's what you are, a piece of shit. Okay? At least you finally got put out of your misery and you got fired. So in the network dick bag you go, Chad Dukes. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Boom. Done. Whew. Now, it's about it as we're going to take a break and head out for the night as we turn out the lights and get ready for the work week. There are a lot of shows here that I promote here on True Radio Network that are friends of the network or part of the network. So here's the rundown. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m., Sports on the Hill podcast. CP3, Robbie G, Paul the Boxing Guy, Anna K, Dijanae Bland, and the crew there. They have all new your DC sports without the politics. And they also, at times, have panels that revolve around the NBA, the NFL, and other sports as well that break down more in-depth 
coverage. And also, you might get a break of last night's fight as well from Paul the Boxing Guy. So you might want to stay tuned for that. Wednesday nights on Zoom, join Demir Dan Dinkins, TJ Guitar, and the crew over at the Starting Five Podcast. These guys are really good friends. These are really good friends of the network. They're like family to us. And really, I usually have a blast on there, talking current events, politics, sports, etc. On the weekends, we have at the, at the Bar Radio with CP3 and 151, as we have interviews with independent artists, and they discuss music, sports, politics, current events, etc. Now, today on the Sports on the Hill podcast, we reviewed Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory, as well as WWE's Hell and SL, along with the Weekend Review. That dropped at 10 a.m. You can find that on all of our podcasting platforms. Or if you're waiting for the video for this week, the video has dropped as well. So you can catch it on YouTube at The Spots Podcast. Now, next week, the podcast will be dropping on Saturday afternoon because on Saturday night, it's AEW Full Gear. So this week, you will be getting our official preview of AEW Full Gear, as well as a recap of the Week in Review. Take in mind that on our Facebook page, that's facebook.com slash nospotspod, we do live streams where it comes to the podcasts now, and we take questions as well during that time. We will also be live streaming Full Gear and Survivor Series this month as well, so you might want to take advantage of the live streams. Come on. Talk to us, ask us questions, give us your opinions on stuff that we're discussing, and chime in. We'll be glad to give you feedback and give you a shout out. Hope everyone has a great week. Be safe. If you haven't yet, go out and vote. And a very happy tomorrow to you. Good night, peace out, and we will see you next week.